Part two of Chapter Twelve of McClellan's Own Story by George Brinton McClellan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mike Manalakis. Chapter Twelve Continued. To General Buell, Headquarters of the Army, Washington, November twelfth, eighteen sixty one. General upon assuming command of the department i will be glad to have you make as soon as possible a careful report of the condition and situation of your troops and of the military and political condition of your command the main point to which i desire to call your attention is the necessity of entering eastern tennessee as soon as it can be done with reasonable chances of success and i hope that you will with the least possible delay organize a column for that purpose sufficiently guarding at the same time the main avenues by which the rebels may invade kentucky our conversations on the subject of military operations have been so full and my confidence in your judgment is so great that i will not dwell further upon the subject except to urge upon you the necessity of keeping me fully informed as to the state of affairs both military and political and your movements in regard to political matters bear in mind that we are fighting only to preserve the integrity of the union and to uphold the power of the general government as far as military necessity will permit religiously respect the constitutional rights of all preserve the strictest discipline among the troops and while employing the utmost energy in military movements be careful so to treat the unarmed inhabitants as to contract not widen the breach existing between us and the rebels i mean by this that it is the desire of the government to avoid unnecessary irritation by causeless arrests and persecution of individuals where there is good reason to believe that persons are actually giving aid comfort or information to the enemy it is of course necessary to arrest them but i have always found that it is the tendency of subordinates to make vexatious arrests on mere suspicion you will find it well to direct that no arrest shall be made except by your order or that of your generals unless in extraordinary cases always holding the party making the arrest responsible for the propriety of his course it should be our constant aim to make it apparent to all that their property their comfort and their personal safety will be best preserved by adhering to the cause of the union if the military suggestions i have made in this letter prove to have been founded on erroneous data you are of course perfectly free to change the plans of operations Brigadier General D.C. Buell, Commanding Department of the Ohio. To General T.W. Sherman, Headquarters of the Army, Washington, February 14, 1862. General, your dispatches in regard to the occupation of the Fusky Island, etc., were received today. I saw also today, for the first time, your requisition for a siege train for Savannah. After giving the subject all the consideration of my power, I am forced to the conclusion that under present circumstances, the siege and capture of Savannah do not promise results commensurate with the sacrifices necessary. When I learned that it was possible for the gunboats to reach the Savannah River above Fort Pulaski, two operations suggested themselves to my mind as its immediate results. First, the capture of Savannah by a coup de main, the result of an instantaneous advance and attack by the army and navy the time for this has passed and your letter indicates that you are not accountable for the failure to siege the propitious moment but that on the contrary you perceived its advantages second to isolate fort pulaski cut off its supplies 
and at least facilitate its reduction by a bombardment. Although we have a long delay to deplore, the second course still remains open to us, and I strongly advise the close blockade of Pulaski and its bombardment as soon as the 13-inch mortars and heavy guns reach you. I am confident that you can thus reduce it. With Pulaski, you gain all that is really essential. You obtain complete control of the harbor, you relieve the blockading fleet, and render the main body of your force disposable for other operations. I do not consider the possession of Savannah worth a siege after Pulaski is in our hands. But the possession of Pulaski is of the first importance. The expedition to Ferdinandina is well, and I shall be glad to learn that it is ours. But, after all, the greatest moral effect would be produced by the reduction of Charleston and its defenses. There the rebellion had its birth. There the unnatural hatred of our government is most intense. There is the center of the boasted power and courage of the rebels. To gain Fort Sumter and hold Charleston is a task well worthy of our greatest efforts and considerable sacrifices. That is the problem I would be glad to have you study. Some time must elapse before we can be in all respects ready to accomplish that purpose. Fleets are en route and armies in motion which have certain preliminary objects to accomplish before we are ready to take Charleston in hand. But the time will before long arrive when I shall be prepared to make that movement. In the meantime, it is my advice and wish that no attempt be made upon Savannah unless it can be carried with certainty by a coup de main. Please concentrate your attention and forces upon Pulaski and Ferdinandina. St. Augustine might as well be taken by way of an interlude while awaiting the preparations for Charleston. Success attends us everywhere at present. Very truly yours, George B. McClellan, Major General Commanding. General T. W. Sherman, Commanding at Port Royal, etc. To General Butler, Headquarters of the Army, Washington, February 23, 1862. General, you are assigned to the command of the land forces destined to cooperate with the Navy in the attacks upon New Orleans. You will use every means to keep your destination a profound secret, even from your staff officers, with the exception of your chief of staff and Lieutenant Weitzel, of the engineers. The force at your disposal will consist of the first 13 regiments named in your memorandum handed to me in person, the 21st Indiana, 4th Wisconsin, and 6th Michigan, old and good regiments from Baltimore. The 21st Indiana, 4th Wisconsin, and 6th Michigan will await your orders at Fort Monroe. Two companies of the 21st Indiana are well drilled as heavy artillery. The cavalry force already en route for Ship Island will be sufficient for your purposes. After full consultation with officers well acquainted with the country in which it is proposed to operate, I have arrived at the conclusion that two light batteries fully equipped and one without horses will be all that are necessary. This will make your force about 14,400 infantry, 275 cavalry, 580 artillery, total 15,255 men. The commanding general of the Department of Key West is authorized to loan you temporarily two regiments. Fort Pickens can probably give you another, which will bring your force to nearly 18,000. The object of your expedition is one of vital importance, the capture of New Orleans. The route selected is up the Mississippi River and the first obstacle to be encountered, perhaps the only one, is in the resistance offered by Forts St. Philip and Jackson. It is expected that the Navy can reduce these works. In that case you will, after their capture, leave a sufficient garrison in them to render them perfectly secure. 
and it is recommended that on the upward passage a few heavy guns and some troops be left at the pilot station at the forks of the river to cover a retreat in the event of a disaster these troops and guns will of course be removed as soon as the forts are captured should the navy fail to reduce the works you will land your forces and siege train and endeavor to breach the works silence their fire and carry them by assault the next resistance will be near the english bend where there are some earthen batteries here it may be necessary for you to land your troops and cooperate with the naval attack although it is more than probable that the navy unassisted can accomplish the result if these works are taken the city of new orleans necessarily falls in that event it will probably be best to occupy algiers with a mass of your troops also the eastern bank of the river above the city it may be necessary to place some troops in the city to preserve order but if there appears to be sufficient union sentiment to control the city it may be best for purposes of discipline to keep your men out of the city after obtaining possession of new orleans it will be necessary to reduce all the works guarding its approaches from the east and particularly to gain the manchac pass baton rouge berwick bay and fort livingston will next claim your attention a feint on Galveston may facilitate the objects we have in view. I need not call your attention to the necessity of gaining possession of all the rolling stock you can on the different railways, and of obtaining control of the roads themselves. The occupation of Baton Rouge by a combined naval and land force should be accomplished as soon as possible after you have gained New Orleans. Then endeavor to open your communication with the northern column by the Mississippi, always bearing in mind the necessity of occupying jackson mississippi as soon as you can safely do so either after or before you have effected the junction allow nothing to divert you from obtaining full possession of all the approaches to new orleans when that object is accomplished to its fullest extent it will be necessary to make a combined attack on mobile in order to gain possession of the harbor and works as well as to control the railway terminus at the city in regard to this, I will send more detailed instructions as the operations of the northern column develop themselves. I may briefly state that the general objects of the expedition are, first, the reduction of New Orleans and all its approaches, then Mobile and its defenses, then Pensacola, Galveston, etc. It is probable that by the time New Orleans is reduced, it will be in the power of the government to reinforce the land forces sufficiently to accomplish all these objects. In the meantime, you will please give all the assistance in your power to the Army and Navy commanders in your vicinity, never losing sight of the fact that the great object to be achieved is the capture and firm retention of New Orleans. I am, etc. George B. McClellan, Major General Commanding U.S. Army. Major General B.F. Butler, U.S. Volunteers. The plan indicated in the above letters comprehended in its scope the operations of all the armies of the Union, the Army of the Potomac as well. It was my intention, for reasons easy to be seen, that its various parts should be carried out simultaneously, or nearly so, and in cooperation along the whole line. If this plan was wise, and events have failed to prove that it was not, then it is unnecessary to defend any delay which would have enabled the army of the potomac to perform its share in the execution of the whole work the operations in the west began early in february and soon resulted in the capture of forts henry and donelson and the capture of nashville shiloh took place on the sixth and seventh of april it was not until may twenty first that corinth was evacuated 
I have already alluded to the very unsatisfactory condition in which Buell found his command, but he very soon satisfied himself that there was no apprehension of a dangerous offensive movement by the enemy, and steadily went to work to organize and discipline his troops. I gave him all the support and assistance in my power, sending him as much in the way of troops, arms, and supplies as the resources of the government and the necessities of other points permitted. He displayed very high qualities as an organizer, and mastered the strategical questions with marked ability, and I am satisfied that one of the very best things I did when in command was sending him to Kentucky. About the time he went there, and for some months thereafter, immense pressure was brought to bear upon the government to do something at once for the relief of the Union men in East Tennessee. I was fully impressed by the necessity of doing this, and constantly urged Buell to send a column to that region, even at the expense of remaining temporarily on the defensive in front of Bowling Green. But Buell found it impossible to do so, in consequence of the disorganization which prevailed, the lack of transportation and supplies, and the impracticable condition of the roads in the fall and winter. My confidence in Buell's judgment and knowledge of the circumstances was such that I reluctantly acquiesced. I still regret that it was impossible to carry out this intention, for the effect of the occupation of Knoxville at that time would have been of the first importance. But I have no doubt as to the propriety of Buell's decision. He was so true and loyal a soldier that no mere obstacles would have deterred him from carrying out my clearly expressed wishes. He was the best judge as to the possibility of the expedition, and I have no doubt that he was right. Before the close of November, Buell and I discussed the propriety of a movement up the Cumberland and Tennessee rivers, and concluded that it should form a necessary part of the plan of offensive operations. This was so self-evident a proposition that I had long thought of it, but I am not sure whether the actual suggestion to carry it practically into effect came first from Buell or myself, very likely from Buell. Certainly it did not originate with Halleck or any of his surroundings. I will for the moment leave this subject, simply stating that by the 26th of February, Nashville was in our hands, and by the 3rd of March, Columbus, Kentucky. In the course of these operations, Halleck delivered himself of several prophetic statements in regard to good strategy, each of which proved to be ridiculous. On the morning of Sunday, March 2nd, 1862, desiring to give orders for the further movements of Buell's and Halleck's commands, I went to the military telegraph office, then in the headquarters of the Army of the Potomac at the corner of Pennsylvania Avenue in Jackson Square, and caused communication to be cut off from all wires except those leading to Halleck's headquarters at St. Louis and Buell's at Nashville. I then called Buell and Halleck to their respective offices and asked for a full report of the condition of affairs, number, position, and condition of their troops, that of the enemy, etc., Buell promptly gave me the information needed. Halleck replied the same day, I have had no communication with General Grant for more than a week. He left his command without my authority and went to Nashville. His army seems to be as much demoralized by the victory of Fort Donelson as was that of the Potomac by the defeat of Bull Run. It is hard to censure a successful general immediately after a victory, but I think he richly deserves it. I can get no returns, no reports, no information of any kind from him. Satisfied with his victory, he sits down and enjoys it without any regard to the future. I am worn out and tired with this neglect and inefficiency. C.F. Smith is almost the only officer equal to the emergency. To this I replied, Your dispatch of last evening received. 
the success of our cause demands that proceedings such as Grant's should be at once checked. Generals must observe discipline as well as private soldiers. Do not hesitate to arrest him at once if the good of the service requires it, and place C.F. Smith in command. You are at liberty to regard this as a positive order if it will smooth your way. I appreciate the difficulties you have to encounter, and will be glad to relieve you from trouble as far as possible. On the 4th, Halleck telegraphed me. A rumor has just reached me that since the taking of Fort Donelson, Grant has resumed his former bad habits. If so, it will account for his repeated neglect of my often repeated orders. I do not deem it advisable to arrest him at present, but have placed General Smith in command of the expedition up the Tennessee. I think Smith will restore order and discipline. On the 6th, Halleck telegraphed to Grant. General McClellan directs that you report to me daily the number and position of the forces under your command. Your neglect of repeated orders to report the strength of your command has created great dissatisfaction and seriously interfered with military plans. Your going to Nashville without authority, and when your presence with your troops was of the greatest importance, was a matter of serious complaint at Washington, so much so that I was advised to arrest you on your return. On the 31st of March, Halleck informed Grant, General McClellan directed me to place General Smith in command of the expedition until you were ordered to join it. On the 10th of March, the Adjutant General of the Army, by direction of the President, required from Halleck a report as to Grant's unauthorized visit to Nashville and as to his general conduct. On the 15th, Halleck replied that Grant had gone to Nashville to communicate with Buell, that his motives were proper, and advised that no further proceedings be had in the case. Now to the story which prompts me to insert these dispatches. More than a year after the events in question, Franklin wrote to me that on meeting Grant at Memphis, or some such point on the Mississippi, Grant asked what had made me hostile to him. Franklin replied that he knew that I was not hostile, but very friendly to him. Grant then said that that could not be so, for without any reason I had ordered Halleck to relieve him from command and arrest him soon after Fort Donelson, and that Halleck had interfered to save him. I took no steps to undeceive Grant, trusting to time to elucidate the question. In the latter part of 1866, while I was in Europe, General Grant, through one of his staff, communicated with General Marcy in regard to papers missing from the files of the office of General-in-Chief during my tenure of the place. In searching my papers, General Marcy found my retained copy of the dispatch of March 2nd from Halleck, in which he reports Grant's unauthorized absence, etc. This he forwarded to General Grant, who was thus for the first time informed of the truth. This dispatch, and my reply had, with many others, disappeared from the files in the office. So with regard to my correspondence as General-in-Chief. The Military Telegraph Office was first established by me, and was located, as already stated, in the headquarters of the Army of the Potomac. While I was absent from Washington for a couple of days in March, the Secretary of War, without any intimation to me, caused the entire office, with all the telegraphic records, to be removed to the War Department. I was relieved from the general command of the army while with the front near Manassas, March 11th, and never re-entered the office of commanding general in the War Department. All the papers there were taken possession of by the Secretary of War, and he and Halleck are alone responsible for the gaps in the files. Someone abstracted the telegrams above alluded to. 
as to Halleck's conduct with regard to Grant, no comment by me is necessary. The facts speak for themselves. In this connection, see Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant, Volume 1, pages 324 through 328, also North American Review, December 1885. The following correspondence between Generals Grant and McClellan is appended by the editor. Hotel Byron, Villeneuve, November 24, 1866. General U.S. Grant, commanding U.S. Army. General, in a letter received yesterday from General Marcy, he says, I had a note yesterday from a member of General Grant's staff, in which he says it has been officially reported to the general that he, McClellan, had retained in his possession certain records pertaining to the headquarters of the Army, which were loaned to him while preparing his report in 1862 and 3. I desire to state that I have not knowingly retained or caused to be withheld any document whatever, whether important or unimportant, belonging to the headquarters of the Army or to any other department of the government. When my report was completed, I caused all the original subordinate reports and all other documents belonging to the government to be boxed up, and sent them to the Adjutant General of the Army in Washington, I think at the same time with my report. My recollection is that they were sent by the hands of my aide-de-camp, Captain A. McClellan. I do not think it possible that any document can have been overlooked, because in examining my papers subsequently, my attention would in all probability have been attracted to it, and, as a matter of course, I would at once have forwarded it to Washington. I shall be under special obligations to you, General, if you will cause me to be informed what documents are alluded to in the report referred to, also by whom the report was made to you. To such a general statement as that made to General Marcy, at least as it has reached me, I can only return a general reply, as I have already done. Desiring the favor of an early reply directed to the care of Messrs. J. S. Morgan and Company, 22 Old Broad Street, London, I am General, very truly yours, George B. McClellan. Headquarters Armies of the U.S., Washington, D.C., December 10, 1866. Dear General, I have the honor to acknowledge receipt of your letter of the 24th of November. In reply, I enclose you copies of all letters addressed to General Marcy on the subject of papers supposed to be in your possession. These letters contain a full explanation to yours, and as you will see, do not imply an intention on your part to withhold any paper properly belonging to the headquarters of the Army. Trusting that this letter, with enclosures, will relieve you of any misapprehension you might have felt from General Marcy's letter, and with the assurance that the General kindly offered to furnish anything we might want from papers retained in your possession, I remain, very truly yours, U.S. Grant, to General G.B. McClellan. Vivet, Switzerland, December 26, 1866. My dear General, yours of the 10th instant reached me yesterday, and I now fully understand what is wanted. When called to the command of the United States Armies in 1861, I left unchanged the organization of the Army of the Potomac and its headquarters, and in no manner merged them with those of the headquarters of the United States Army, the staff for each being distinct, except with regard to my personal aides-de-camp. Thus General Marcy, the chief of staff of the Army of the Potomac, had nothing to do with the headquarters of the Army of the United States. General S. Williams was Adjutant General of the Army of the Potomac, while General L. Thomas was my Adjutant General in my capacity as Commander of the United States Army, etc. 
the papers and records of the two offices were entirely distinct i had in the war department building two rooms for my office as commanding general of the united states army and thither general thomas brought to me all papers and matters requiring my action received my orders thereon carried back the papers to his own office where they should be found together with the orders and letters issued by him thereon in conformity with my instructions you will the more readily comprehend the state of affairs when i remind you that my predecessor general scott had an office first in new york afterwards in washington entirely distinct from that of the adjutant general of the united states army where he had his own adjutant general and entirely distinct records the adjutant general of the united states army being then simply the adjutant general of the secretary of war i changed the arrangement dispensed with the machinery of a separate office and merged all the routine service and records of the command-in-chief with those of the adjutant general's office the only papers to the best of my recollection kept in my office were the retained copies of my own letters on subjects of an important nature requiring more or less secrecy such as letters of instruction in regard to military movements as the telegraph was much used these letters were not numerous colonel a v colburn had charge of these letters and i am not sure whether they were copied into books or simply filed i kept nothing for myself but the original rough drafts either in my own handwriting or that of the aides to whom they were dictated all written reports received went finally to the adjutant general's office or that of the secretary of war none were retained in my office which was after all simply a place for the transaction of business and not a place of record when i left washington in march eighteen sixty two to accompany the army of the potomac on its march towards manassas i was still the commanding general of the united states army had no reason whatever to suppose that any change was contemplated by the president left at a few hours notice and expected to return in a few days preparatory to the final movement to the peninsula i therefore made no special arrangements in regard to my office in the war department and left everything as it happened to be all my personal aides accompanying me two or three days after while at fairfax courthouse i to my complete surprise received through the newspapers the orders relieving me from the command of the united states army and never afterwards entered the office in washington i was informed that it was immediately taken possession of by the war department for its own uses and have no knowledge of what disposition was made of the papers etc found there further than that it was about the same time stated to me that the war department had taken possession of everything in the office as the functions of commanding general were assumed by the secretary all telegraphic dispatches of any importance were sent and received in cipher and were handed to me translated the work of deciphering and the reverse being executed in the telegraph office my recollection is that the cipher copies at least were recorded in books which were kept in the chief telegraph office these books were never in my personal possession this chief office originally organized under my direction was in the building occupied as the headquarters of the army of the potomac on pennsylvania avenue in jackson square soon after the accession of the present secretary of war to office and during my absence from the city on duty for two or three days the entire establishment with all its records apparatus and personnel was removed to the war department building without my knowledge by order of the secretary of war and from that time i ceased to have the slightest control over it when i returned to the city i found the removal accomplished which was the first intimation i had of it in that office should be found copies of all the messages that passed through it with regard to the books containing the original duplicates of my messages sent i have now no means of knowing what ones were left in my war department office when it passed from my possession 
I do not think there are any in my possession among my papers in the United States, except that sent to you by General Marcy. As that was simply my private memorandum, I would be glad to have it returned to General Marcy when you have done with it. I was not aware that the telegrams of February and March 1862 from General Halleck were among my papers. I have requested General Marcy to forward to you whatever copies of telegrams, etc., he may find. From his letter to me, I think that he has examined all my papers, for all that I know are of at Orange. I will do my best to aid him in making a thorough search. When I return to the United States, probably in the course of a few months, I will most cheerfully aid you in any possible way to carry out your wishes. But I am at present inclined to think that a close search in Washington will be productive of much better results than one conducted elsewhere. I must apologize for inflicting so long a letter upon you, and am, my dear General, sincerely your friend, George B. McClellan, General U.S. Grant, Commanding U.S. Armies. End of chapter 12